Startup Stories DSM features conversations with entrepreneurs in Greater Des Moines, Iowa, who share their stories of what worked and what failed on their entrepreneurial journey. This podcast is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at The Partnership. Casey Neiman, welcome to Startup Stories. You grew up on a farm in Kansas. Looking back now, uh, what skills did you learn on the farm that you're thankful for today? Uh, great question, Mike, and pleasure to be here. Um, I think I learned about work ethic on the farm, and I learned about persistence, two things that have definitely helped me as an entrepreneur. You know, definitely as the youngest of four, I also learned about competition. Oh, you were uh, the youngest? I was the youngest. Oh, so am I. You know, I, I feel like I was very blessed to grow up in a loving family, you know, on a, a farm in Kansas where I got a lot of good practical experience. I had, you know, both uh, supportive family and, and relatives nearby that were always encouraging. And it also gave me a great understanding of an industry that I'm passionate about in agriculture. Yeah, and I think for those who didn't grow up, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up around a farm. We owned farms, but we didn't live on them. There is a real, there's a different sense of community in a farm world of the neighbors of the farm than there is in a town, even a small town. I mean, the community level is so much higher because you're borrowing each other's stuff, you're taking care of each other's fence lines when something goes down. We had cattle and you know the neighbors forever having to deal with our cattle. We had to deal with his horses. And I, but I did, did you find the same way that it really is a, a I would say a deeper community? I, I do. I think that uh, especially in you know, small town communities, there's just a sense of togetherness and a sense of uh, values that are encouraging and we need more of. Yeah. Uh, we just had an opportunity uh, when I was in high school, I participated in FFA and other leadership uh, organizations, but in particular, FFA had a really big impact on me. And, and I know that that's, you know, here in Iowa, uh, FFA chapters are very strong and there's a lot of great leadership skills. And a few weeks ago, we had an opportunity actually to participate in the National FFA Convention. Oh, cool. They, along with Microsoft, sponsored kind of a blue technology initiative where they had a number of different startups along with some of the innovative large companies in agriculture. And they just kind of had a pavilion to encourage young people uh, when they're thinking about careers and thinking about opportunities to understand more about the opportunity that ag technology presents. And so that was a real honor for us to participate. I had heard that FFA was getting heavily involved in technology. They were actually trying to build it much deeper into the curriculum. I mean, it's already there. I mean, anybody that works in ag today knows that they're surrounded by the technology, but it sounds like they've really engaged it. They have, and they've got some great partners. And I think, again, part of it is just encouraging and showing some of these young students that if you're interested in technology and in agriculture, there are great opportunities and careers ahead. So you went to Microsoft. I think it was your second job from what I could see. What year did you go to Microsoft? Uh, I went to Microsoft in 2000 uh, and was there about 14 years. Yeah. And so uh, I got a, I was fortunate to be able to work at Microsoft kind of in their heyday, if you will. Boy, no kidding, because I was a partner, uh, OEM partner of Microsoft from the late 80s, early 90s through 06 when I left my job. And that was, what that was the heydays and the ups and the downs because I went through the, the browser wars and seven versions of mobile computing platforms <laughs> that Microsoft struggled with. But uh, you've got to, I would imagine you've got to lean a lot on what you learned at Microsoft when, as you look at this, as you run AgriSync. What skills did Microsoft help you develop uh, that you use in that startup? 
Well, certainly when I came to Microsoft, I didn't have a big technology background, but I had uh, had worked with customers in the past and had worked in field offices, and at the time they were kind of looking to put people in the field for the very first time. Oh, that's really, when they started. Yeah. And to really start opening offices in the Midwest. And so from a timing perspective, that was a great opportunity because we were some of the first field resources at Microsoft. and. And so we operated in the early days very much like a startup, but I would say a startup with lots of resources. <laughs> True, and that, but at the same time, funding's not everything. Funding's not everything. You know, learning operations and execution and process. And, uh, you know, when I started, there were 30,000 employees, and when I left, there were well over 100,000. And so that ability to sort of learn how to scale up and to apply... Uh, operational principles and sales process, those were super helpful to me because, uh, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, when you're starting a business, getting execution focus and getting kind of operationally efficient are some of the tougher things that you have to do. And so, you know, I, I certainly was fortunate to learn a lot of things while I was at Microsoft. The last few years, I was one of the early you know, kind of leads for Microsoft in cloud technologies. Oh, that's nice. That was helpful. Yeah. um, Because I think that, you know, the emergence of cloud-based services, be it from Microsoft or Amazon or Google, have really empowered a generation of entrepreneurs to think big and to think at global scale. Absolutely. Um, It used to be that, you know, there was this large kind of entry fee, if you were, if you will, to you know, create a new service. Oh, yeah. And, Just uh, the equipment you had to buy, and that was crazy. Right? So I think for a lot of, uh, I feel really fortunate to be in this generation of entrepreneurs who uh, basically have, you know, the world's best technology assets at their fingertips and the ability to create and to do things and to really think globally in terms of, you know, problems that they want to solve, meaning this the faucet of technology, the emergence of the cloud is is basically unending. To me, I look at the, I want to talk about that for a minute. The cloud has done so many more things than I think people understand because I know people who've started companies with less than $5,000. Now, they had the skills, but spun their stuff up on AWS or Azure or whatever platform they used and built substantial customer bases literally off of a laptop computer. And to, it's like a democratization of what you know, used to be you had to have the million dollars, the half million dollars to build the set of servers and lease the lines and, and all that stuff. The other thing I think about is it's uh, kind of a placemaker. Uh, Des Moines can have really cool cutting edge startups that aren't penalized for being in Des Moines or being in anywhere else for that matter. Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, the cloud lowered the cost of failure. You know, it used to be the cost of failure was significant because you had all this sunk cost. Yeah. And now, you know, the freedom to fail and to fail quickly and efficiently, you know, using cloud-based services, I think has really allowed for this iteration effect to help startups because you're not probably going to get it right the first time. No. (laughs) And if you can fail and fail quickly and do so in a cost-effective way, um, then some of those things around, you know, persistence and iteration and hard work start paying off because maybe you've got a chance to get up to the plate a second or third time. And, And I think it's been good for us in the Midwest. You know, in the past, you know, people used to look at the Midwest as maybe flyover country. And now I think that if, if you look at the Midwest, you say, gosh, if you're in agriculture, you're right at the heart of our customer base. Right. 
Right. And so and for a lot those, of resources now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're listening out there and you're thinking about ag technology or you're thinking about insurance or financial right. services, I would I would argue that, you know, Des Moines is a fantastic place to build those businesses out because we've got a great business community, a supportive climate. Your cost of doing business is relatively low here. And in our case, being in the ag sector, uh, you couldn't ask for a better place to build out yeah. an ag technology because we have both the in-customer audience in our backyard and in, in a vibrant kind of ag community, but you also have some of the larger enterprise platform players in agriculture that are headquartered, you know, here in the Midwest. And that gives an opportunity, I think, to partner with them and, you know, really have what I would call a, a good momentum swing behind your startup. Well, I think you've seen this, but it's pretty easy to get in the door of a lot of those companies, too. They're not as, shall we say, as difficult as trying to knock on the door of General Motors. Knocking on the door of a John Deere, while you may not get in directly, you'll find someone that knows somebody at John Deere. It's because we're all over, there's people all over the place that know all the people that work at John Deere. I think also, just to wrap up on the, on the cloud piece, as an angel investor, the efficiency of capital investment. You know, it used to be the first half million went into just infrastructure. It was like entry stakes. It was like playing poker and you had to ante up. Well, the ante was a half million. And today the ante is almost zero from a tech basis. You, you know, it's whatever the cost is for a few months of time on the servers and a couple of laptops and maybe a few things from a tools perspective and you're in. So if, whether it's your own money or an investor's money, so much more of the money goes to building the product and figuring out the problem than it did to all the necessary, if you will, necessary evils, the way I always looked at it, because all it could do was break. You know, if it was working perfectly, it just cost you money. If it wasn't working perfectly, it cost you customers. So, so how did you come to start AgriSync? Well, I think when you hear about ag technology, most of the time we hear about topics such as data, drones, telematics, Internet of Things, all good categories, if you will, of technology, and certainly uh, those have been kind of the drivers behind this uh, surge in ag technology. But when I looked at solutions to create in, in agriculture, the one kind of missing element was this human element, meaning we have to have people who understand how to engage and educate farmers on these new technologies. And farmers are, are much more uh, demanding and dependent upon some of these third-party experts or advisors, as we call them in AgriSync. So, you know, I actually had two or three different ideas when I was uh, making the transition uh, from Microsoft into being an entrepreneur. And I had a few good advisors who were quick to tell me that doing something practical and unique that people would pay for was the best route to go. And so while lots and lots of people were saying, hey, I want to solve the data challenge or I want to solve the telematic challenge or Internet of Things, and again, these are all good, good uh, innovations, uh, we're unique at AgriSync because we're solving for the human element, the human element of a farmer needing help with all of this new technology. And so we've really become kind of a catalyst and an enhancer, if you will, of technology adoption because we allow farmer to have one-touch access to that team of expert advisors uh, that can help them, whether that be the equipment dealer, the precision ag specialist, the agronomist. And again, all of those experts typically have uh, a set of kind of flagship products, services that are largely data-driven or kind of IoT-driven, but they also have a, a challenge, and that is 
getting the farmer to adopt those services and kind of the hand-holding that it takes in order to support a farmer who's maybe making a transition to a new technology. And so what we do is we bridge that gap by creating a communications and support platform that allows, again, a farmer to engage and to get great support and customer service around kind of those other products and services. Uh, some people call us kind of the Zendesk for agriculture. That's not a bad uh, label. I guess we'll take That's that one. That's a pretty polite label, um, given how strong Zendesk really is. But, you know, we've, we've really solved this notion of field service and communication. And I think been fortunate to focus in on that area to be able to complement a lot of the other technologies that are happening uh, in the ag sector. Well, and it's interesting because you talked about looking at different problems to solve in some of those big problem spaces. And the bigger the problem space, the you know, like let's take telematics, which is, by the way, is an old problem space, not a new one. But the the challenge with those spaces is there's going to be a lot of failure. There's going to be a lot of people that, doesn't, that don't make it. There's a lot of huge entrants. And that churn is very difficult on startup. I mean, even if you do win the day, it's a tough road to go. It's interesting, your model no matter how much churn there is in these different technologies, you live on because you're not dependent on any one of them. Certainly you use technology in your business, but you're not dependent on John Deere's new AI-based weed management system working or the latest differential GPS systems working or the coolest drones working. That doesn't, it's great if they do, but it's actually, you're, you uh, are really resistant to the, in, the singular failures, the failures that are gonna happen in the market. Did you think it through that carefully when you started, or is that a happy, happy circumstance? I, I think there's some luck that goes along with being <laughs> yes, an entrepreneur, uh, and I will certainly, uh, you know, again, I think we've been fortunate to find a problem that exists that a lot of companies have, and that we can hopefully make those companies be able to provide a better level of customer service as part of their engagement with with farmers, and so, you know, I. I definitely think in the startup space, you've always got startups who come in with the mentality that in order to succeed, I have to disrupt or flip over one of the major providers right. in that industry. And I will tell you, that's hard to do. Yeah. You know, those established companies, if you think about our industry in agriculture, the platform companies yeah. that have been around for hundreds of years and that have a sense of trust and resilience, we're fortunate that we get to help those platform companies get even better and even more efficient. Right. And we're doing so by not, you know, disrupting their business, but helping them to kind of enhance that. And so for us, uh, being able to partner with the existing players in the industry and say, we're going to focus specifically on this customer experience, meaning that is the one thing that we're going to do and do really well. And we're going to help you be you know, exponentially better and more efficient, more cost-effective at it. That approach, candidly, has helped propel our company because we become, instead of a potential disruptor to those platforms, an enhancer. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's enough challenges in starting a business that if you can find a way to enhance companies who already have maybe distribution figured out or a dealership audience or something of that nature, that's, that's really important. Well, let's face it, if you're a manufacturer of equipment and you've come up through the, let's take John Deere, they're the most obvious one. They've been around over 100 years and they are fantastic at what they do. But the technology, the rate of adoption of technology now is very high and that's not where John Deere came from. 
So that, you know, they've had a hard enough time just dealing with all this new technology, but to deal with all the new support levels, that's, that's a lot to ask of one company, and you can't be great at everything. You touched on reduced cost and increased efficiency, and those are thro thrown out. Everybody throws those words out, right? But take us through a scenario, because you've given me some numbers in the past, but yeah. talking about what a gate visit costs and what can be saved when, let's say, a, a piece of equipment breaks and there's a physical part, and somebody's got to figure out what part is broken or whatever. Take us through the, the actual cost savings that your, your customer sees, which is, your, is the, the supplier of the equipment, and what the efficiency is for them and the efficiency for the farmer. Right. So in our case, an advisor can pay for AgriSync with one use case, with one trip to the farm. So on average, if you're an ag professional and you have to travel out to the farm to manually take care of something, and oftentimes these are kind of these non-toolbox items, right? I don't need a wrench, but what I need is an expert set of eyes to tell me which button to push or which adjustment to make. Each time you go to the farm as an ag professional, it costs you between four and $700 to take your time, roll the truck out there, potentially solve the issue. It's expensive. Your, your time and your cost is expensive. And so for essentially the cost of one field visit, you can pay for your AgriSync subscription for a full year for an advisor. And so that helps us have a really strong value proposition right. because obviously if you do that, uh, a few times a day or a few times a week, then we make the cost of service and the cost to serve a much more efficient proposition. The other thing we do is help maximize the uptime for farmers. Right. So think about if you're a farmer and it's a beautiful day to harvest in Iowa, um, you want to harvest, right? Uh, you don't want to be sitting there uh, in the cab. Especially if and, the storm's coming. You know, you've got a snowstorm coming and, and you're sitting there looking at a an error on your monitor or an issue, and now you might be waiting you know, several hours or a day for somebody to come out and fix a small issue. And this cost of downtime is important for farmers uh, because they've got more and more acres to cover, a more narrow window it seems every year to plant, to harvest. Everything that they do is time sensitive. And again, they want to use this technology, but they also uh, like a lot of us, when we're using new technology, they have this fear of downtime. And what if it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work? Oh, and yeah. so what we do is, again, allow now a farmer through a phone call, a text, or a free mobile app to be able to have one-touch access to a team of experts who can respond very quickly and oftentimes in five to seven minutes resolve that issue without the expense of a trip to the farm. Five to seven minutes of somebody's time that, by the way, could be at another farm doing something for somebody else anyway because it's the same advisor, potentially. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things we try to encourage with advisors is not only are you going to have a turnkey solution that allows you to deliver great support, but it's going to free up your time to be able to do more productive things, meaning the opportunity cost of an expert's time in any organization is often high. Yep. We want those experts to be as efficient uh, as we can. Well, and especially we've got a full employment economy now, so there aren't exactly a number of people with the training it takes to be one of these technicians standing around waiting for the next job to come along. I'm being facetious, but it's it's tough to hire anybody right now. It, it is. really is. It is. And, and I think keeping people is a big deal. The biggest challenge, if you ask our customers in the 
ag professional space what their biggest challenge is, and it's the, the talent challenge of being able to find and hire and retain great people. And I think that that is going to be an ongoing challenge for us as long as, uh, and again, we're trying, you know, we want these experts to come and often live in, in kind of rural areas. Uh, I will tell you these are great jobs, so if you're, you're a young person out there and you're interested yeah. again in ag and technology. Especially if you like being outside. We're big advocates, and yeah. I think you will, will love the opportunity ahead of serving, you know, farmers who are obviously, you know, have a great mission of feeding us every day. Yeah. Uh, but there is definitely a, a labor shortage that I think you're starting to see a number of ag tech companies realize and focus on. Yeah, it's it's uh, to me just the the level of efficiency you've delivered is is pretty incredible. That's not easy to find. So, congratulations on figuring that one out. Tell me where the company is right now. I don't know what numbers you want to discuss or not, but you started a few years ago. I'm trying to remember three years ago. Uh, coming up on about four. Four, time flies. So it was you and your partner when you started up. Um, where is it at now? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about from a growth standpoint, where are you? Yeah, so today we serve over 200 agribusinesses in the U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K., and France. Those companies, if you will, uh, subscribe and pay to use our service, and then they serve thousands of farmers around the world with their expertise. We've been fortunate not only to grow in our customer base, but also in our team here in Des Moines. So we've been hiring and adding new people in our customer success team and our development group, you know, uh, marketing team. And so uh, we've been very fortunate, again, to, in a relatively down ag economy, to be able to grow. And I think that that's, again, just a testament to good timing, uh, hard work, and focus. Yeah, and you're bringing an efficiency solution to market. So we talked about the hiring challenge, but there's also the, okay, it's a down market. I don't have as much top-line revenue. I'm not selling as much new stuff, which means I've got to be even better and more efficient at what I'm doing that makes money, which is servicing the existing. You bet. Uh, Because when it turns back up, you want to have a good relationship with that farmer because if the tractor she bought keeps breaking over and over and over and doesn't know how to reset it, she's not coming back. There's some... Certainly, there's some brand loyalty there, but after a while, if the thing just isn't going to work, you've got to go somewhere else. Well, and I think not just in the ag equipment sector, but in precision ag and agronomy, there's been this shift towards services, and specifically what types of proactive services after the sale can yes. we deliver, can we monetize, can we you know, leverage to engage. And, and I pe- think people are willing to pay for good service. Absolutely. I think there's a, a misperception oftentimes that our time isn't valuable. And I would argue that your time is the most valuable thing that you have. And a lot of times, if I'm an expert, especially in the field, I, I may not uh, monetize my time because I don't have a good way to manage it. I don't have a, a, a solution that would track my time or a solution that would allow me to show the end user a differentiated approach. When we, when uh, advisors use AgriSync, one of the things that we give to them is a turnkey solution that automates and tracks their time and categorizes where they're spending it, allows them to get feedback on every support session, allows multiple ways for a customer to ask for help, whether, again, that be a phone call through the mobile app, through a text. And so part of what we're doing is, you know, think of the things that you as a consumer demand. 
you know, this consumerization, if you will, of IT has also raised the bar of the average user oh, yeah. on how they get help sure. uh, and where they where they go for help. And so, well, it's the Amazon effect. Absolutely, absolutely. And you think about how easy it is to you know digitally get customer service. Right. And and as we look forward at AgriSync, we look at some of the emergence of things like you know artificial intelligence and, and the impact that that could have on customer service. And we see a huge opportunity ahead to invest and to really take the best of kind of the human element that we have mm -hmm. and be able to wrap some kind of routing efficiency, if you will, sure. of issues uh, using some of the emerging technologies. So, you know, I think a lot of people think that your product is primarily used by, from, a, from an advisor standpoint, what you're talking about is the, it's the van walls and, and the people like that. But some of your advisors are single person entities. Some of them are in universities. Tell us some of the different types of advisors that are out there. Yeah, I think this is one of the really interesting parts of our business is just the diversity of our customer base. And we, we do certainly do well in the ag equipment, in the ag retail space, uh, but we do have a lot of independent advisors who might be supporting a single product. Maybe it's a new technology solution. We partner with a number of other startups sure. who might be a, a small team of two or three people, but yet they're trying to scale mm -hmm. this new product or service globally, and they you know, probably don't want to fly around the world and handhold every one of those. It would kill their cost approach. And so, you know, we we have customers in the animal health space. We have, uh, you know, some customers that do things in, in construction. You know, we certainly have specialty product providers. And so, again, if you're that person who is typically taking the call yeah. and kind of the expert, the problem solver in your organization, We've got really good representation across all of those different segments. And, and I think that's been fun for us because every time you get a different type of customer, you learn a little bit about your product. Sure. And uh, it's been very helpful. So we've talked a lot about your customer, but you have another customer, and that's the farmer. So what do they pay for the mobile app? It, by the way, the mobile app has video in it, too. Maybe you could talk does, a little bit more yeah. about what that farmer's experience is. So tell us about what the farmer pays for the mobile app and what their experience is. Yeah, so our service is free for farmers, and that's certainly helped us in terms of distribution. <laughs> well, from what I know of farmers, that's a good price point. It's a good point. price point. That's a good price point. So again, a farmer can download our free mobile app. It works on iOS, Android, or their favorite tablet. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have this ability to create a digital ticket and they can attach a picture or a brief video of what the problem is. And when they send that off, it sends out a text alert to a group of experts who respond very quickly. And those experts can do a live video session where they can see exactly what the farmer sees and be able to hopefully resolve that session very quickly. That's really interesting because I think about something like a van wall that has several locations. So you literally now have just enabled the, the tech that happened to be available that's working in southwest Iowa to help the farmer in Butler County, which is northeast for those who don't know their geography of Iowa, and do it, again, as a live session in sometimes 15 minutes without having to distract the other tech that's underneath a large piece of equipment doing a fairly tough job. Uh, that's, that, that is another level of efficiency that I think most people wouldn't really stop and think about. Yeah, a lot of people look at our solution and they see video and they think, oh, wow, that's great. And that certainly helps us increase time to resolution. But the real magic is the way in which that we connect and kind of route these experts to get uh, yeah. support. 
And we recognize not every farmer wants to use their smartphone and an app to ask for help. And so now they can even call in a support request into AgriSync or, you know, if they want to just send a simple text, they can do that as well. I think part of making it easy and, again, obviously as a free service for farmers to be able to ask for help has been, has been very helpful. What has been the reaction of the farmers? Uh, it's been very positive. You know, we've been fortunate to have a number of endorsements from, you know, organizations like Farm Bureau and others who are looking for uh, kind of farmer-friendly technology. Again, most farmers know these experts. You know, they've had them on speed dial for a number of years. Yes, they have. And what we're doing is just making for a much more efficient support and communications vehicle. And uh, farmers are very sophisticated when it comes to technology. I think if, you know, you look at a farmer who has to be an expert at a variety of different things depending upon the season, you know, they kind of do something for a week to two weeks and then they shift to something else for a week to two weeks. And so the ability to be kind of an expert across all of these seasonal activities as a farmer is pretty challenging. And you've got, you know, new technology coming at a rate that's, you know, unsurpassed. And so it's daunting. Farmers are very sophisticated in the way that they operate. They also very much understand the value of their time, probably more so than anyone, as they value, you know, uptime and maximizing support. So they've been uh, very supportive, and we've been fortunate to, again, have a service that's simple and easy and free for them to use. So tell me a little bit about your competitive advantage. First of all, do you have competition? What's the competition? And how do you view your competitive advantage? So in the agriculture industry, we are unique at this point. So we're first to market in the ag sector when it comes to focusing on a, a customer service and communication platform. And that's certainly been helpful because we've been able to focus in on this vertical of agriculture and customer service. Outside of agriculture, there are other companies that do this and do it very well. Certainly, you know, probably the, the biggest kind of leading flag is the telemedicine initiatives. You know, you see that, you know, patient-doctor relationships kind are changing. Kind of like our and, friend Ben Lefevre. Yeah, so yeah. there's a number of great solutions out there in yeah. the telemedicine space. You know, there's solutions out there in the consumer electronics space. You know, you're starting to see in the heavy industrial space some of these types of solutions. But I think... In each vertical, they have their own kind of unique challenges. And I'm a big fan of having a focus uh, in what you do and what you build every day because then you can really get good customer feedback. And in our case, some of the best capabilities of our product have actually been ideas that have come from customers. Yeah. And we wouldn't have that opportunity if we were some sort of a generic customer service platform because... Um, you know, people might not feel as kind of, you know, when, when people use our product, they very much identify with it because it was built for them in the agriculture space. And that's allowed us to really, now that we've got a good customer base, the, the choice of what's next, there's plenty of options, meaning sure. we have lots of customer feedback in order to, to innovate. Well, I so. would, uh, my personal, if I ever went back into a business, which I don't plan to do, I'm getting close to retirement, but I would want to be in a vertical. I've been in both and, and verticals are to be honest, they're more fun from a selfish perspective, but you, you have so much more opportunity to add real value, value that gets counted not just in dollars but in people's time and people's job satisfaction. I mean, let's face it, if you can make the employees more satisfied, that's a, that's a benefit as well. So switching gears a little bit, um, 
you're the CEO of the company. How do you view the role of a CEO? Uh, and, and what do you think a startup CEO should be doing with their time as the company grows from startup to this early revenue stage, which maybe you're past that, but to into the, the revenue growth stage? What should that CEO be doing? Well, I think it, it varies based upon where the, the stage of the company is. But I, I'll first say that being a founder uh, of a company is humbling, right? I think on a daily basis, you probably see, at least I do, I see the short list of things that we do and we do very well. And then I see this long list of things that we need to learn and figure out. That doesn't find a way change when you're the size of Microsoft. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think for us, for us, being able to stay focused is important and not just the focus that I have, but how do we, how do we encourage that focus and execution method of our broader team? Right. You know, when you first start out and it's, uh, you know, just you and your basement building out this company, you wear all the hats, yep. literally all of the hats. And so every, uh, whether the company moves an inch forward or a foot backwards, it's really on you that mm -hmm. day. Now, I think a big focus of ours is how do we build out the talent on our team? How do we get the right people who want to take ownership, who have a vision, who, you know, want big roles and big responsibilities to join the team? And then how do I, as a CEO, effectively hand them the hat for this particular area of the business? And so I think sometimes, you know, the daily battle of the, of the early stage CEO is how do you give up responsibility to others and really empower them to do that and do that well? So I try to, number one, hire the right people, and number two, make sure that the folks that we are hiring can later be hiring people, right, and, and yeah. identify good character, good values, and then how do we give those folks responsibility to make decisions, give them responsibility and accountability to solve things. So I'm really focused at this stage on how do I hand these different hats that I've been wearing to other people and be able to do so with enough kind of humility and grace that says that if they don't get it perfect the first time, that's okay, right? but I want them to learn how to own, you know, different parts of our business. And I think, you know, this ability to kind of scale through others is a really important piece. And it's not easy. Uh, I'm not, I've got a lot of challenges, you know, doing that some days. But I will tell you that it's uh, definitely an area of focus for me right now is how do we, you know, empower others to do great things. Now, from my background, and I was never the CEO, but I was one step from it, you're talking about the right area because it does get down to people. And if you can't let go of all those tasks, you can't grow. Last question for you. What do you think the Des Moines startup ecosystem needs to grow? That's a great question. I mean, we have been very blessed to, you know, almost leverage every capability that the Des Moines Partnership and the ecosystem has had to offer. So I know, Mike, you often, when you introduce yourself, you say that, hey, I'm the guy that you should come to if you've got an idea on a napkin and you want to just get some feedback. I was that guy, right? I came to you, Mike, and said, hey, let's have coffee multiple times, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we iterated on, you know, ideas and resources and connections. And I'm so thankful for that, genuinely thankful, because it allowed us to get feedback early on. It allowed us to uh, learn about programs and resources that we didn't know existed. Right. And so I think the Des Moines Partnership does a great job in that early stage of incubating ideas. I'm also a multiple-time participant of 
the Raising Capital workshop. Yep. You know, um, we've leveraged some of the resources. That Thanks that, for the plug. I appreciate that, that. That brought because you know we learned a lot of things that we didn't know. How would um, anybody know how to raise capital if they haven't done it before? Yeah, I mean, it's one uh, of those obvious questions when you really think about it. That's I always hard stuff. tell people, you know, you've got all of these brilliant, smart people that, uh, whether it be the, the folks that come in from legal or different capital groups, who come in and graciously share their time uh, in a community where, you know, again, if you want to then go do a follow-up cup of coffee and go a, a mile deeper, you can. Yes, you can. You know, and so we've been very fortunate to find good resources and good a good supportive ecosystem. You know, I think the one thing that I would, we always try to find what are the ways now that we can give back? Because we're in this place where, okay, we've got a good idea, we've got a good customer base, and now we're kind of in this scale up right. mentality. And, you know, how can we share what we've learned and mistakes that we've made and things that we would maybe do differently? And so I really appreciate and enjoy the times when as a community we come together and sort of share some of those best practices. So again, the partnership, you know, has opportunities on a on a very regular basis to do the Accelerate Conference or some of these er scenarios where as an ecosystem we can come in and share what's working and what's not and really break down into small groups and find who are some of the other companies. I also think, you know, just sharing the message that you can build businesses here and and that the ability to hire great talent, the ability to uh, have access to capital, and the fact that you've got a lot of people kind of rooting for you in the background, you know, so. And they really are in this town. They are they rooting. Are. They're encouraging. I mean, when we make product announcements or updates, it's fun to see, you know, whether it be folks from the partnership or the Waukee Innovation Center where we reside or, you know, Farm Bureau or some of these other organizations that have been just super important to us that have been, you know, really encouraging. And so it's pretty genuine. It is. And I think that people want to see other startups succeed. And I, I want the same. You know, we, we're in a place right now where we've got some other great ag technology companies that are emerging here in Iowa that I think are going to do huge things. And I want them to be successful. And I want them to, you know, because it will only build upon itself. And it'll bring more access to capital. It'll bring more access to resources. Again, for us, we've been fortunate to have good financial backers, um, and we've been fortunate to have good customers, you know, who ultimately, uh, I always tell people, you know, the, the best way to sort of understand, you know, the success or failure of a, a startup is going to be to talk to their customers and, you know, what type of encouragement they might have. I'll also say that, you know, for me personally, I failed to mention this earlier, but having a good support system at home is important. You know, I've been very blessed to have a, a wife and kids who are supportive of this journey and not everyone would be you know I'm not a uh, I'm not fresh out of college Mike right so I made this turn into entrepreneurship at a time where my dream was someone else's sacrifice yes and so having a good supportive ecosystem at home uh, will help you through kind of the good days and the bad days and I think I always just when I meet with other founders and, you know, they're like, well, do you think I'll make it or not? And I often say, well, is your spouse with you on this journey? Yeah. Because that is going to dictate a lot of your resilience, a lot of your tenacity. Because when the rest of the world is against you, hopefully you'll still have at least one fan or advocate at home. So, Absolutely. Casey Neiman, thank you for being on Startup Stories. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by this startup story, visit dsmpartnership.com slash business resources to find upcoming events, videos, and other free resources dedicated to helping startups and entrepreneurs accelerate success in DSM USA. That's dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. Thanks for listening.